This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Elizabeth, and today we are going to talk about teaching workshops. And today on our panel, we have Chris Fritz. Hi. Ari Clark. Sup. And Ben Hong. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. All right. So today we're talking about teaching workshops. Ben and Chris, you both teach workshops, you know, fairly often. I know you're both teaching at ViewConf this year. Um, this is true. These are true yes. facts. So what are, the, what are the workshops you're teaching this year, uh, Chris? For me, I'm teaching my proven patterns for building view apps. That's my, my most popular workshop. And it's also like all my workshops, like I, I always try to improve it every single time and bring like new best practices into it. And, you know, the, the last few iterations, there's been more and more view three content, which makes sense as view three is getting closer and closer to coming out and stabilizing more. Awesome. And Ben, what are you teaching this year at VCOM? I'm teaching my workshop on ridiculously reusable components. And Damien uh, Dulis, who is one of the core team members, will also be joining me for that as well. Sweet. So I'm curious, how did you get into teaching workshops? What was the first one that you did, Ben? Yeah. Okay. So my first workshop then was actually a few years ago. I can't remember the exact year, but it's when Flexbox had just started coming out and a lot of people like didn't really know about it. So I basically created like, I think it was like a three hour workshop where I taught like a group of people how to use Flexbox and sort of like the principles behind it. So what inspired you to, to do that? And, you know, like, did you feel as though, because if Flexbox had just come out, what made you think, okay, I'm going to become, you know, an expert at this enough to go ahead and like teach it to other people? Is it just a joy of teaching or... So at the time, I was... An astounding amount of arrogance. (laughs) How did you become so arrogant, Ben, that you think you can actually teach everyone else how to do things? Oh, my gosh. I hope that wasn't Uh, how my question came off at all. No, but that's that's how I'd like to come off. And that's the question that I'd really like Ben to answer. (laughs) Just like, what gave you the gall? (laughs) Okay. How dare you? How dare you, Ben? That is my question. How dare you? From most people's perspective, it's it's like the intimidating part about going ahead and teaching a workshop is like having that confidence, you know, to say, okay, I actually know about yeah. enough about this topic that I could teach people it. I feel like people who listen to this podcast might be trying to overcome that barrier themselves if that's something that they're interested in. So that's the essence yeah. behind the question that, that I was asking. Yeah, because I mean, I'm like, so speaking at a conference is, is like arrogant yeah. enough. <laughs> And then you're like, I'm going to do a day-long workshop. That's eight hours of me. Just me. (laughs) Hold on. Yeah, how do you you inflate your ego that much? It was like three hours. So it was like less than half that ego. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Three Um, hours is still a lot of ego. Yeah. Um, So what's really funny um, is you mentioned that is that I actually think teaching workshops is easier than speaking. And this is probably a bit... Okay, yeah, explain, please. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So my thing is like, when you get up to speak at a conference, especially most people who are starting out and you're looking at people who speak, it 
it's it's intimidating because you basically appear as like a subject matter expert and you're supposed to like basically speak on this thing with expertise, hopefully. Whereas with the teaching piece, the way I see it, it's more like you're not necessarily saying I'm like the only one who knows it or like I'm the best at it, but just more like I'm going to be like a guiding force to help you just walk you through commonly like mistakes that you might make. So for me, like workshop is almost a little easier because you can almost schedule like breaks. Whereas like, you know, like when you talk, you have like, you have to like almost like entertain for a certain amount of time. And so it's more of a performance piece where workshop, there's this ability to really interact with individuals and to be like, what do you need? How can I better tailor this? Like if you're not getting it, I can stop and like, you know, emphasize or go into deeper examples, right? But if I'm speaking at a conference, I have zero feedback, right? At best, maybe you'll get some laughs, some smiles, but like, you have no idea if anyone's following. So in some regard, I find teaching workshops to actually be less scary than speaking for that reason. Yeah, I feel exactly the same way, actually. Like for as someone who has done both theater and also like trained and worked like as a teacher, giving workshops is much more like teaching. So like people say like, oh gosh, if you're doing like a full day workshop, isn't that you just like completely exhausted? And it's like, well, it's like one day as a teacher. So I'm pretty used to it. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, but like for a talk, like I do have to rehearse that a lot more because it is performance. You, you can't get real-time feedback as much from the audience. You really have to have your timings down because it's such a short period of time. And with a workshop, like it's, it's more like leading a discussion. Or at least a, I find like a good workshop because no one has the energy to just like listen to someone talk for a full day. I can't even do that for like 20 minutes. <laughs> you know, like the, the, length of, the length of a lot of talks is often pushing my attention span. And, and so for a workshop, it, it really has to be a, a lot more engaging for people and talking to people, with people, rather than just at them. That makes sense. And So how do you even yeah, come up with content? Like pauses and ask people like, <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, whether they have questions and things like that. And you can explore little tangents. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you said, how do yeah. you come up with content? Yeah. Like, uh, and also, how do you know that it's even good content? Because <laughs> you're like, uh, like you obviously have a background in ed- education, but I know that not everyone who's leading a workshop I, I does. Don't have a yeah. In right. But I mean, you at least have like a psychology background. So like you're in people's heads. So it's like the same. That's ben, do you want to go first? You start. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I'll go back to the Flexbox example because at the time, again, I had just started like getting into speaking and I was like, a lot of imposter syndrome. I actually had a lot of freakouts regarding that. But basically, you choose a topic that, like, the easiest way to get started is choose something that's popular. So, Flexbox being like the new like layout thing. So, that was like simple enough. But then you basically go, like, how do I take a beginner from A to B? And so, to Chris's point, I think the thing about speaking is because you're speaking at people, there, you basically have to choreograph the whole thing. But the workshops I like are the ones that have a lot of hands on application because, after all, like, you can only listen to so much code before you're like, Okay, I need to just build something with my hands, even if it's something very like, you know, it's not anything significant. But if I build something, it'll like make sense. So building those exercises into the workshops um, basically allows you to create gaps of like, I want to get them to point A to point B and how can I like break it up into smaller chunks in between? And then you basically have a workshop right there. Like even if it's only an hour or two, like that's like the smallest form of a workshop that you have. I completely disagree. That's the wrong way to do it. Um, but... <laughs> No, I mean, yeah, building on that, like, you know, how do you start and, and how do you know whether, like, you even have anything? Like, how do you know, like, oh, maybe I could give a workshop? 
a lot of people that I talk to who have a lot of experience and a lot of like content that could be really useful to other people don't realize it actually, you know, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they, they know so much that they also realize all the things that they don't know. Like they see more of the complexity of the problems that they're working on and trying to solve and realizing that they don't know everything and thinking that, well, if I'm leading a workshop, I really should know everything. I've worked on like a lot, a lot of different apps, like with a lot of different companies at a lot of different scales and for a lot of different problems all around the world. And I still am constantly learning new things from people that I work with. And so like, I, clearly, I clearly don't know everything. <laughs> I'm learning like, how other people solve problems and basically just trying to bring that experience in, you know, not like an expert, I, I have all the answers way, but in a, like, I have some experience and this is what I found helpful. And also opening up the, the floor for other people to also share what's been helpful for them. Because in every workshop, I also learn from the people in that workshop. And then I bring that to the following workshops. And then people think that I'm a lot smarter than I am. As if I came up with all these ideas myself, which uh, is false completely. It's, it's all a big lie. It's a scam. Oh my God. <laughs> now we know you're just a fraud. Okay. Yeah. I feel much less intimidated by you now. <laughs> so if you're worried, if, if you are worried that you are a fraud, it, it, everybody's a fraud. I mean, and, and the more you do this work, I mean, uh, when, sorry, when I say a fraud, like but what I'm saying is like, we're not geniuses and we're not like better than other people. But the more you do this work, the more you get to learn from other people who are also doing that work and the better you become at helping people learn how to solve those kinds of problems. And, you know, you are faced with a lot more problems than most people have to face when they're just working with one team, one company for extended periods of time. You know, I've, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen things you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> things that would give your programs, programs nightmares. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you, get, you get to learn from a lot of different people. And so, it, it'll be it'll be hard at first, and the first time you give a workshop, I, I can almost guarantee it you're not going to feel great about it. You know, there's going to be a lot of things that you'll want to improve, and you can, and just keep improving some things every time, and eventually you get to a point where you can be really happy with it. If you're worried about giving your first workshop at like a big conference or something like that, you know, where people are paying a lot of money, you know, you can try a first workshop like with your company. Or like another company in the area that you can do for free or cheap. Or meetups. Uh, or or meetups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you can work with a meetup and say like, hey, could we just do like a workshop like through you and like advertise through you? And it'll just be like a free or super cheap workshop. You know, maybe it's like $20 admission per person. I, I, I do recommend charging something because if it's a full day and you can provide yeah. at least $20, $20 of value, there's something wrong. And, and really, I think even, even $50, even like $50 is probably a better price because you'll, it might seem kind of strange, but you might get, actually get more people signing up at $50 than $20 or free. And certainly at free, you'll get less people showing up because there's like no opportunity cost when, when people sign up and they're thinking like, oh, but like, oh, gosh, I'm kind of busy today. Like I really would like to focus on, you know, getting this release out, you know, which th there's always going to be things. There's always going to be competing pressures in their lives when it's free it's easy for them to say like, well, I just won't go because I didn't pay for it anyway. 
Yeah. Uh, when it's $50, they're going to go. Having led a free workshop at a conference, it was really a self-guided thing. I was just there to babysit, but um, it, because it was free, we, I think only had about 25% of our signups actually show up. So, yeah, yeah. And that's totally normal. It's not a reflection <laughs> of the quality of the workshop. Like the, the View Vixens workshops, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that they are free because yeah. it's hard enough for people who identify as women to like get into these fields and really? uh, huh. you know get, get into view. I, so <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you, Ari and Elizabeth, you should know about this. <laughs> it's actually it's actually not as easy as a lot of a lot of people assume. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the ironic or yeah ironic mansplaining. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I, I think that, you know those those should be free. I'm really grateful that they are. But that's one of the things that you deal with when you give away something for free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, so, and you can also give away, like you can work with conferences to give away, you know, diversity tickets and yeah. uh, like scholarship tickets to people. Yeah. So you can, you can still meet both goals. So what are some sort of general, I'm just going to say mistakes that you guys have made and things you learned from those mistakes? <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about this yeah. too. Especially like, what went Kristen. wrong? <laughs> said after your first workshop, you're going to think about all yeah. these things that like you could have improved. And I was going to ask you, do you remember what those things were? Or are there things recently that you just thought, okay, you know, I need to rethink how I approach this. Oh yeah. They, they, they haunt me to this day. But, but Ben, <laughs> would you like to go first? <laughs> all right, so I we're taking first. turns. Yeah, sure. So for the Flexbox workshop, I think the, the biggest thing you always want to regret is like, I should have accounted for these scenarios. Because the students, as Chris mentioned, they always find ways to introduce something you didn't necessarily anticipate for. And as a workshop, like especially when you're designing your first one, it feels like you want to account for everything. But I think that is probably a huge mistake because number one, you put a ton of pressure on yourself. When really, you know, I think the thing about workshops is you're there. Like we all know that this material is free online, right? Like the docs are out there. Like there's theoretically no like. Then people write blog posts. But because there's so much noise though, like the reason people come to these workshops is because they just want someone to like walk them through and guide them through something from A to B. And they almost like want to feel empowered to go on to the next step. So by like, so with the Flexbox example, like they didn't know everything they needed to know about Flexbox when they were done with the workshop, but they had played with it enough that like, they're like, okay, like I feel confident enough now to go off on my own to like look up the docs and start exploring on my own. And I think have like keeping that mindset is important because if you tr- if you do the whole like I should teach them everything, you'll try to either jam too much down their throats and then they'll burn out. Like so, yes, I'll stop there. Chris, what about some of your like early mistakes? Yeah, so I mean, a mistake that like I don't just make at the beginning, but like every time I introduce content, a lot of things I will assume like will make sense to people. And it turns out that like that explanation like just doesn't speak to people. That example like isn't something that they relate to. And and so like finding and iterating on on those examples, and this is where like documentation work also also helps a lot. If you're or if you're writing like blog posts, like it gives you an opportunity to to test some of those assumptions. You know, you can you can test teaching material in a lot of different formats and then bring that to a workshop. You know, instead of waiting to test it for the first time in a workshop, which I yeah, I definitely recommend, you know, so if you're thinking about a workshop, I'd say start with, you know, writing blog posts, resources, like other documentation and yeah, seeing how things work, seeing what doesn't make sense to people, responding to that, iterating on it. Cause 
like any good educational material is a process of iteration. Like none of it is something that people just think of and then produce and then it's perfect. Just like product design. Like it, it makes total sense that you don't just like create the perfect product the first time. You keep on iterating Speak for yourself. It. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, I'm, so th- there are some prodigies like Ari, but for the rest of us. Obviously. With their supercomputer. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Lots of iteration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like, don't, don't feel bad about that iteration. Like that iteration is normal and necessary. And every time things are going to go wrong. So just be cool with that. Like Speaking. every single time people are going to be trying to like run something and it's not going to work on their computer. Oh, I seem to recall Ben had a a very (laughs) interesting workshop recently where everything broke the day of. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, that was a Vue CLI workshop, right? Yeah. I was like, hey everybody, Vue CLI is great. Wasn't it the night before that Vue CLI 4 came out? No, it was the the morning, they updated it the morning. The morning of. Yeah, the morning of. So I had no idea. And then when I had them NPM install, I was like, Everyone, all you had to do is view add router and it will work. And then everyone's like, it's broken. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it was just, oh, so yeah. That was what did you horrible. do? <laughs> I just, I'm curious how that, like, how it went from there. Yeah. Uh, so to be honest, I panicked. I had to, I was like yeah. on the Nightmare brink situation. of like, yeah, because I, I was by myself. And so actually, I, Crystal second this. If you can have someone help you with your first workshop, like just be there by your side to help it. It makes a big difference, but I was on my own. So I was basically like freaking out. But basically the solution for me was to rewind everyone back a step. So this, this is part of like the lessons learned of like having milestones. And so if you're doing like, if they're building something, make sure you have like a branch they can go back to or at least a commit, but whatnot. So then you rewind them into the same space. And then I basically had them manually add view router. But unfortunately that doesn't have them the same pizzazz as like the router plugin. But you make do, and that's exactly it, right? No one's expecting when they go to these workshops, you would think, and even though they paid for this, they're not expecting it to go like a perfect performance. They just want someone there to help them through things. So even though like at the end of the day, I was feeling so awful about this, people were still like telling me that they really enjoyed it and got a lot, a lot out of it, even though I was beating myself up to no end initially. Yeah. Well, as a story a, though. <laughs> like as a bad. teacher, you kind of get used to stuff going wrong. Like there are times when like you plan out this really elaborate lesson plan and you know, you start it and it turns out, well, that's not working. I guess we're doing something else and making up it on, making it up on the fly. And that's, that's just kind of like a normal part of life. There have been times where like, as, as a teacher, I've, I found that the class website was blocked, suddenly blocked by the school firewall. And like we needed that to do literally all of the work that I had planned for all of the classes. That day. <laughs> oh, no. and, and not just that day, but that week. And so that was frustrating. That sort of put a wrench in things. And some of it, some things you can account for, like sometimes there's going to be bad Wi-Fi. Sometimes, yeah. you know, it's going to be intermittent or it's going to be slow. And so, you know, there, there are things that you can do to help people with that. So like encouraging them ahead of time to, you know, do things like install a project locally, you know, go through some, some getting started instructions, but you know, no if they, if it. they can, and then, and then no, yeah, no one ever does it. <laughs> no yeah, one so ever, I was going to say you that. You should still send that email. But yeah. no still send ever. the email because it'll, it'll still save you some problems. But when I, when I say no one ever does it, like right. some people do do it. Yeah. Some people do it. 
but most people won't. So keep that in mind. Any instructions? Yeah, you may not know this, but conference Wi-Fi is notoriously awful. So mm-hmm. yeah, don't assume that it will work. Yeah, because so- I've seen workshops where people were literally tethering to the instructor's phones just to get the content. Yeah, I I may have done that. Yeah, conference. Yeah, my lesson learned from that was I'm going to buy a bunch of thumb drives where people can copy over oh, projects. That's um, smart idea. That's, that's a really good tip. Yeah, less stressful than buying yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Wi-Fi. So a, a few things that I do to to sort of work around that is I, I use Slides.com for workshop slides, and Slides.com allows you to like download a copy of the slides. That's to, like to a paid one, right? Well, yeah, I, I pay. So yeah, I, I use not the free version, <laughs> but. It, let's say even if even if you're not doing that, um, you could give it a try. I don't know if it would work if you just like tried to save, like load it up and then save the page offline. Maybe that would work. I don't know like to what extent they like cache or download slides like as you're going through them. So that's something you can you can try. That's something you can give a shot to. You know, even if you're not doing the paid version. And something else that's nice about Slides.com is. It has, like, if you add slash live to the URL, then other people can see exactly where you are. So let's say the projector goes down. People can still watch along on their laptops. Or if, you know, the projector is working fine, but it's a beautiful sunny day in Tampa and the sun is shining onto the projector and basically no one can see anything past row three. Is this a true story? <laughs> it may be a true story. <laughs> <laughs> and so you can, you can wait for it. It's like, well, we'll just wait for it to be dark and then I'll continue the workshop. <laughs> or you like can have backup hours. plans like this and people can, <laughs> people can bring stuff up in their laptops when there's someone who has something go wrong with their computer. You know, I set them up with a friend. And one of the things that I do at the beginning of the day, I have a little survey too, because I don't count on people doing this at home. I do a little survey that people fill out on the day where the last question is, ask someone who you don't know in the workshop what they're most looking forward to learning. And obviously I can't do this in like uh, when I do a corporate workshop because like everyone's on the same team, they know each other. But I, I, still, I still like to have something where people interact with each other and get used to asking each other for help because you are one person and you, know, you may or may not have someone there to help you give even more personal attention. But getting people talking to each other a little bit and letting them know that like that is super okay. <laughs> like they're not cheating if they talk to other people and ask other people questions. And so that, that breaks the ice, that question. Like ask someone you don't know what they're most excited to learn about. And then people have someone that they've already sort of broken the ice with and they can say, hey, like there's something going wrong with my laptop. Do you mind if I sit and like try this exercise with you? And we can pair on it. Or if they're not comfortable with that, setting them up with someone. And you know, some people are shyer. So it, it can be useful to you know, look around and try to get a sense. And sometimes checking in with people proactively during like independent work sections and saying, hey, how's it going? And something simple like that can give them an opportunity to say, oh, yeah, it's going good. Or like, I am having a problem. <laughs> So it's I'm going so great. Lost, I, <laughs> it's going great, except like uh, it says to run this in the terminal, and I don't know what the terminal is. Can you help me out there? 
something else that's it's very useful to tell people ahead of time for a workshop and in the description of the workshop is who it's for. Mm-hmm. Like, is this for complete beginners? Is this for people who, you know, have built like tons of web applications and this is really high level stuff? Are they going to, you know, are, do they need to have a full mastery of JavaScript, things like that? And I, I try to make as few assumptions as possible, let people still get a lot out of it. And unfortunately, in proven patterns, like we can talk about a lot of patterns that don't assume high level knowledge and people can still get the gist, you know, of, of what's going on and what I'm trying to do and how they can do a lot of the same things. As but someone, not every workshop is like that. I was going to say, as someone who has attended your workshop multiple times, I can attest to this fact. But you're also, you don't count. Like you're also <laughs> a friend of mine. No, you don't get to give a testimonial. You're totally biased. No, the first you're time totally I went biased. to your workshop, we did not know each other. Well then. Yeah, you're but wrong, now you're Chris. biased. <laughs> but now you're biased. Now you're biased. So I, I don't. I, I still don't trust Ben. Don't trust Ben. <laughs> like if if you ask someone who is not a friend of mine who's been to my workshop, if you if you want some testimonials <laughs> that you can trust. Okay, on that topic. So if you're you know interested in running a workshop and like let's say you've done one or maybe two, what um, are some formats that? you would suggest using for obtaining feedback on your workshop? You mentioned that before. So do you have, you know, suggestions of how people can measure their, how how much people are getting out of what they're teaching? I do. And I know Ben does too. So I'll let him go first. Okay, Ben, (laughs) you first. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I actually picked this up from Chris's workshop. So similar to him at the beginning, we do the like pre-survey just to let people sort of write out what their expectations are. And we tend to share that with the class, to let them know like what kind of level is inside the class. Because a lot of times people can ex- might think that everyone's advanced, but we've had plenty of workshops where there were like people who never used Vue before and then people who are like experts in Vue. And that helps you actually sort of ensure that you can like try to keep the material like either and then just focus on the people that need help. And then afterwards, obviously you can do a post-conference survey workshop but I, I don't know about you, Chris, but I've found that the response rate for that is usually fairly low. And so you usually get like the people who are like, oh, I really loved it. It was helpful. And then if anyone's unhappy, it's just like the immediate one star, like this sucked. And I have, I have gotten those before. They, <laughs> they aren't great. Um, and usually, but here's the thing though, right? And, and so, and maybe this is worth sharing is that um, I actually got to talk to these people afterwards. And a lot of times it's because they got lost somewhere. And then this is where the Chris Prime is still learning. Like you have to... Cr- and so when you get lost, they just zone out. And when they zone out, they basically can't pick up anymore. And so some of these people... I mean, these weren't the one-star reviews, but like they were already lost. I could help bring them back. And that's the thing about workshops, right? You can course correct. If like someone's like, yeah, you lost me on directives. I was good on VIF and then V4 just lost me. Like, and that happened. And so, yeah. Yeah. And so talking to people afterwards helps as well. Because the survey, I don't know. I just, I don't get really a lot of responses, but I'm curious what Chris has to say on the matter. So I like to do a lot of check-ins as we go. And the, the kinds of like, I, I do check-ins in a lot of ways. First asking like, you know, so like, does anybody have any questions about like what I just covered and doing that like very frequently, you know, don't cover like a whole huge chunk of content and then any questions because then people are thinking like, where do I even start? Like no one will raise their hand because like you, you lost them five minutes ago and they, they don't even remember where they got lost. And so doing that, doing that really frequently, waiting for longer than you think if there are any questions. And then also asking questions that 
sort of invite people to have questions rather than make them feel ashamed of having questions. So don't ask like, so everybody gets this, right? Before we go on, everybody gets this? For sure. That's not a question. If if someone asks me, so everybody gets this, right? I'm going to be like, I don't want to be the one who doesn't get it. (laughs) No, I feel really dumb if I don't get it. Like, it's like, obviously everyone gets this unless there's something wrong with you. So everybody gets this, right? It seems like a trap, (laughs) you know? So instead asking things like, you know, is there something that I could, you know, make clear about, you know, how, you know, the, the four different parts of like UX state management work, you know, and ask them like a really specific question that, you know, gets them thinking a little bit and, and also invites them, like, lets them know, like, yeah, you're asking feedback on your performance. This isn't a test on their performance and their abilities. Like you, you want to be able to improve yourself and acknowledging. I try to acknowledge like a lot throughout the day. At the very beginning, I'll say like, so there will probably be some points throughout the day, you know, when, when you're talking all day, this happens, where I'll just stop making sense, where like the sentence, I will say, it will just be nonsense. And... <laughs> It'll be very useful for you to let me know that, Chris, those words not go together uh, (laughs) in logical (laughs) sense. It'll make you sense. So can you please, like, you know, ask me, like, could you, like, explain that again in in a different way? Like, I'm not sure I got that. Like, that's perfectly okay. You don't have to have a really specific question. You know, just letting me know, like, that, that didn't quite make sense. Could you just repeat it? And I'm happy to because... I won't make sense sometimes. I, you know, I try my best to have clear explanations, but it's hard to do that on the fly, improving all day. And to add on to what Chris said, actually, because the onus on questions is a lot of time on the student, if your workshop is conducive to like live coding, this is where I think when I go through an exercise problem and actually like do the solution, it actually gives more like, does anyone need me to dive into something I wrote? Like, does they have a question about a line of code I wrote? It makes it less about them not knowing something and like an opportunity, like it sort of puts like the spotlight on me. So that's one way you can sort of like deflect the pressure of like asking questions. Yeah. And I punctuate the day with, with a lot of open practice times so that it's not always just like me up in front of everybody you know, talking hopefully with them, not at them, but still like talking with people takes a lot of energy. So it's nice when they can have some downtime and, you know, work a little bit more at their own pace rather than still being dragged along by my pace, just like listening to, you know, what I am saying and what other people are saying and trying to keep up with that mentally. Like that's, that's hard for people. And so looking at people's body language during those open practice sessions is is really helpful. And, you know, so some things are a little bit more obvious. If someone is like sort of leaning back and crossing their arms, you know, that's that's a sign that like, you know, they're a little bit closed off. You know, maybe they're feeling like a little bit frustrated and it's about something, maybe ashamed, maybe angry. If people are, look like they're just sort of like their their eyes are glazed over and their eyes are kind of like wandering around a little bit and they, they look like they're like a little bit nervous. They're probably thinking like, I'm kind of lost, but like, I don't, I don't want to like make a scene or anything, you know, and, and going up to them and just like saying like, uh, Hey, how's it going? You know, is there anything I can, I, I can help with? And, and just being friendly, making yourself open can, can help you 
prevent those one stars at the end of the day to make sure that like everybody gets something out of it. And I actually, for this particular workshop, it, it'll change depending on the kind of workshop. But I have basically four different personas that I create. And those four different personas want different things from the workshop. And so I, I, they, they don't all want the same thing. And some people, it's easy to give that to them. And some people, you know, what they want is like a little bit more difficult. But if you try to give them what some other persona wants, then you won't be successful, even if you do that really well. And I can talk a little bit more about that later. Why not just talk about it now, Chris? Tell us more. Oh, I, so yeah, I guess it's sort of off topic, but yeah, sure. I, I can do that. So I, I don't think and, it is, you know, catering, you know, having a successful workshop, you know, that's part of it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I guess it's not related to the, the question, but yeah. So then the four different personas are like first, you know, this is not proven patterns. It's not like a how to use view workshop, like from the very beginning, if you've never used view before, it can still sometimes be helpful for people who have never used view before, but it won't be as helpful. Like I recommend that people read at least the essentials of the docs before coming to the workshop and, you know, play it around with you a little bit at the very least. And if they've done that, then they should have all the background to get a lot out of the workshop, but otherwise it'll be a little bit harder. You can still get a lot of out of it, but it won't be as much. So there are some people in that category where they're really just looking for an evaluation of you in many ways. They want to know whether they should use this at their company. If they like the, the culture, like the way that I'm talking about it, if they like the, the tooling that seems to be available, if it seems to help them solve the, the kinds of problems that they're interested in solving, you know, whether they can relate to the examples. So there's those people. There are also people who are intermediate. They're really looking forward to having at least one thing that they can take back to their company and, and share with everybody that, that will improve their app in some way. And so giving them you know, at least one thing that that's, can significantly improve their app will be really helpful. And ideally, like a few things. And there are people who are a little bit more advanced and they might be looking for, you know, maybe they, they already know about a lot of this content. Maybe they've looked at like the slides online and they've like, uh, you know, they're familiar with a lot of my other work and they're familiar with the enterprise boilerplate, you know, where in the documentation, I, I try to help people learn a lot of the same principles. Sometimes those people just want me to look at something that they've written. They don't actually care about any of the content of the workshop. They just want me, like Chris Fritz, to look at their code and they want to ask me, like, is this an okay way of doing this? And they're, they're looking for my validation basically to say like, yeah, that's great. Or no, you should never do that. But they're kind of hoping that I'll say, yeah, that's great. And what I usually do is disappoint those people. And ask them, well, because like, it's, it's really hard to dive into like a code example in a lot of detail in a short amount of time like that, you know, like, and, and still keep up the pace of the workshop. And so I'll, I'll try to get the, the overall gist of it. And then I'll ask them, like, are there any concerns you have? Like, are there any problems that, that you've been encountering? And they'll say no. And I say, well, then it sounds like it's working great. And then they'll feel good. A good approach. Uh, because uh, honestly, like no code is meant to be less, is meant to last forever. 
like eventually it will become a regret <laughs> if it sticks around long enough. <laughs> that is the natural life cycle of code. <laughs> yeah. But for now, it's solving, it's solving the problem. And it's solving a problem in a way where they're not encountering other problems. If they are encountering other problems, we can talk about that. And, you know, I, that gives me a way to figure out ways that, that we could help solve the problems they're encountering. But usually they're not encountering any problems. They really just, like, they haven't seen this before. And they want to know, like, is this okay, that what I'm doing? Like, it seems kind of weird, but I'm kind of proud of it. Like, is this cool? And yeah. Relate to that so heavily. I'll, I'll, help, them, I'll help them validate themselves. <laughs> Just like, I have no idea how to do this. And then I figured it out. I'm like, God, I am awesome. I am so awesome. But that lasts for like 10 minutes until, you know, I encounter the next bug I wrote last week. <laughs> yeah. And then there are some people who are really, really advanced and really arrogant. And they think that there's nothing that they could possibly learn from me because, or from anyone else in the workshop, because obviously they know everything. Stop calling me out, Chris. I'm totally kidding. That is not me. <laughs> and so like that person will at some point like feel the need to add some information that isn't really relevant to anyone else in the workshop at some point. And they just want you to say at some point like, oh yeah, that's totally true. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then they, they sort of get that itch, that, that itch scratched, you know, that like they, they, they are a smart person. They are good. They are okay. And then sometimes those people can be a little bit nastier. And Divya was in one of my workshops for, for this. And like she, <laughs> I, I think she ended up just like putting her, like putting both <laughs> hands over her mouth when I, when I did this, just trying to keep herself from laughing. But it was, it's one of those situations where, I'm, you know, explaining uh, how to do something. And then someone says, you know, raise, raise their hand for a question and says, I think that's actually a, a bad practice. Oh, they will actually do? And that, Ooh. And, Oof. and that, was, that was the end of what they had to say. And my, my response was, is that a question? Is there anything more? <laughs> <laughs> and then they, they said like, well, I just, it just, I don't think that's a good idea. And I try to use that, like, instead of just like shutting people down, even though like the, is that a question was a little bit like, <laughs> you're being a little snarky dude, a little, like a little bit of a reality check. And it's like, and you're not being like, it's not constructive to just say like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and so I asked them like, okay, great. Like, what are, what are some of the things that, that you're worried about? Or what are the, some of the things that you've encountered that have created problems for you? Because those are really great opportunities for discussions. And, and when people like are a little bit hostile with you, I find the most useful thing is to like break the, the cycle of hostility as soon as you can. So it doesn't escalate. So instead of like getting defensive back and saying like, well, I've been doing this for a long time and like, I know what I'm doing and trust me, I've like worked on some pretty major applications. You know, I could, I could, I could go and do that, but then like, they're going to be like, well, I've worked on some pretty major applications too. Like, you know, so like, oh, and then we're just like, I don't know. Yeah. Then we're just just like having a fight and it's not brawling in the middle of a workshop. But if you can validate them, it's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. So it sounds like with this, you've encountered some, some problems. Can you tell me more about them? 
you know, then, then they feel a little bit safer. They're more ready to have a, a constructive conversation. And it can be like a really, really helpful conversation for everybody, even if the original comment was totally unconstructive. So how did that story end? Did he come back with any actual valid concerns? Gosh, it's hard for me to remember, but I think with with that exact one, yeah, they, they, sometimes people, it's hard for me to remember with that exact one. Sometimes people have like valid concerns. Sometimes it's something that is similar to something that they've, just sort of learned blindly as a best practice or, or, or as a bad practice, you know, just like, oh, you don't do this kind of thing. And they, they're not yourself. really thinking about why, like why that might be bad or in what situations, because everything's contextual. Yeah. There are actual valid use cases for using V4 and VF on the same element. There really are, but generally you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if, if, there are, if there are cases where someone just can't even think of like what they're afraid of happening or like what they've encountered from this pattern. If they can't think of anything like that, then, I mean, you end up looking pretty smart and they end up looking like (laughs) kind of foolish, (laughs) especially, especially when you like break the, break the hostility and like actually treat them with respect. Then they, then they really look look like a jerk and you look really good. (laughs) And that, at the end of the day, is all that matters. Yeah, yeah, it's all about my ego and feeding that. I want people to understand that. No, but I mean, I mean, re- really, like some people feel like they they have to get defensive in order to make themselves look good, you know, because they have to protect their reputation as like the person in charge. And I, that's that's just not the way to go. Like humility is always a better option. You know, if mm-hmm. don't try to pretend that or that you know more than you do know. You know, admit when you don't know stuff. Don't try to rely on like, oh, well, you know, I've, uh, I've been doing this for a long time and I've been, you know, worked with some pretty serious applications. So I think I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Especially um, in that voice. Always in that voice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like, a, just, you know, basically shutting down any conversation about the actual topic by tr- trying to talk about, you know, trying to make people feel like you're so smart that you're beyond question and no one is that smart. I mean, I am. <laughs> Except for Ari, of course. Yeah. Uh, so far from the truth. <laughs> so, yeah, what was I talking about? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, and you asked, like, does that, like, do sometimes people, like, have, like, what are some common, or in this case, did people, like, have concerns that were justified? Mm-hmm. And I, I'd say usually people do. Usually people are worried, like, yeah, but won't it be harder to test if we do it this way? And sometimes, yeah, sometimes, yeah, that's one of the drawbacks. And so it's really good that you, you bring that up. Or sometimes it might be, oh, yeah, so like you can't test it the way that you would normally test that thing. But here's something that I use and I demonstrated in Enterprise Boilerplate because I, I just bring that up constantly during that workshop because <laughs> that's where I keep like a lot of really good examples for, for how to do things. And yeah, so I, I solved that problem in View Enterprise Boilerplate. You can see here. And then they're like, oh, okay. And then they have this reference that they can take back with them for how to get around that problem, which is a real problem. But um, yeah, it, it gives you an opportunity to highlight resources that help them solve it. And you don't have time to talk about everything. So like it, mm-hmm. it gives you an opportunity to dive into the things that people specifically in that room struggle with. I mean, I personally of. reference your documentation in view enterprise boilerplate all the time because I'm actually using it. So sometimes I'll just be like, Oh yeah, that one base component. What did he do in that again? 
Me too. Like, I, okay, I, I got it. Got it. <laughs> I feel bad. I feel bad plugging it sometimes for like, no. but, but it, but it's, it's, so, it's, helpful. So, it's so silly. Like it's a free resource that yeah. I work on and then give out to people. I, I, I don't know why I would feel bad about that. It's not something that like, it's not like you're profiting off. <laughs> I mean, I guess I am for people who enjoy my open source work. You know, they can like donate to me on, on Patreon at yeah, patreon.com slash Chris V. Fritz. Don't interrupt me, Ari. This is my plug. <laughs> this is me actually plugging. Right. For people who do enjoy my open source work, you can donate at patreon.com slash Chris Fritz. And, but that's, that's totally optional. You, you can. Yeah, generally people only actually do that if you have provided value. So yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about that. <laughs> 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 oh snap. Oh snap. I have a quick question, just one more thing that's kind of an open open question in my head. So if I envision myself going ahead and teaching workshops at like a meetup level, kind of like you were saying, Ben, the next sort of hurdle I envision myself running into would be transitioning that to a bigger workshop, like you were saying, maybe at a company or at a conference or something. So Ben, do you remember what that transition was like and you know, how that went for you and what made you decide, okay, I'm going to move on from meetup level. I'm like ready for something a little bit bigger. Yeah. So I believe the first workshop I ever gave at like a conference was the O'Reilly's Fluent Conf. And so that was actually a CFP where they actually had a CFP for workshops, which is actually not as common as I wish it was. Conferences, a lot of times you have to almost reach out to the organizers directly. And so basically that's how I got my first one. But uh, like if I were in that shoe again, if you're living in a place where there are boot camps around, that actually might be a good way to like propose it to a boot camp, being like, "Hey, I'm willing to run this like half day workshop, right? Low commitment. They already have the space, anyways. You know, you can teach the students, and that could be a great way to just sort of building that credential. Because I think the only thing that workshop uh, conference organizers worry about when it comes to workshop is that people are paying like a decent chunk of money typically for these things, so they're always concerned like, will it be up to quality? Because obviously the organizers will suffer the repercussions if it does not. So I would say as you know, work your way up. And then if you know, if you know other people who are giving workshops to talk to them to either give you like that letter of recommendation or, you know, not letter of recommendation, but you know, that sort of plus one that usually helps to sort of start moving your way into that path. Cause it can seem very daunting for sure. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's a good tip looking out for CFPs, Mm -hmm. things like that. So you can see, submit your content and then see if they're even interested in something like that. Excellent. So should we wrap up and move into picks? I think I have one more thing actually. Okay. Go ahead on the workshops. So this is something I learned from Chris that I think is actually even applicable to just speaking. But for workshops, uh, Chris mentioned this earlier, but you really only need people to walk away with one thing really from your workshop. Like even though it's an all day thing, you think like, oh, I have to give them eight hours worth of information. Like if they walk away with something that they find useful, like that, that's basically the success mark. So that hopefully helps to take people's pressure down a lot. And more importantly, if you can have them build something that they can show off to people um, at the end of it to say like, hey, I built this, that can really improve sort of like satisfaction and not just retention of information. So that's a pro Chris tip. And so I'll, I'll mm-hmm. post it in the show notes, but I, I actually found the Flexbox like solution like exercise that I had People build, it was like a, a farm Ooh, where you like excited. portion out like your crops or whatever. And oh my God, I love that. Really silly, but awesome. um, so you could see like how it proportions out. Anyways, that, and that was like my, one of my first things I ever made. So, you know, just something to keep in mind. Do you have any like one final tip, Chris, anything from your end? 
building on top of what you just said, yeah, one of my tips for just like coming up with ideas for projects in general is help people build something they'll want to share with someone they care about, you know, because like the motivation for a lot of learning like is social. So whether it's someone at work and they want to say like, oh, here's something that we can use to like improve our dev experience or whether it's like a Pokemon database and and it's just like, oh yeah, here's something I want to share with like my friend who really likes Pokemon, (laughs) you know, like for, for anything, just like adding that kind of social glee factor will, will help people become a lot more motivated and uh, allow them to push past the parts of learning that are inevitable. That will be like frustration and not so fun, kind of boring. And yeah, and get past it because they're so focused on that beautiful thing in their mind and, and that moment when they share it with some person they care about. And let's see, besides that, I, I feel like there's a lot I could talk about on, <laughs> on workshops uh, yeah. in, in general. Maybe we'll have a part two sometime. Yeah, maybe. If anyone actually does have any questions about workshops, yeah, you feel free to reach out to me at Chris V. Fritz on Twitter. And I'd be happy to answer any follow-up questions too. Like I definitely want to make it easier for people to you know, teach awesome workshops. And oh, something I, I, I want to talk about as an example of what we were just saying is Crystal Campioni in her talk. And oh, uh, yeah. she's also like doing workshops now, gave a, a talk on animating with Vue. And in the talk, she builds this game. Or I mean, she, the short story is she, she built this game based off of something else in view that is like really beautiful and gives you a lot of points to like play with it and build off of it in different ways. And I think she might, I think she might use that in her workshop, but that's, that's a case where like it, it fires off people's imaginations and gets them thinking about ways like, oh yeah, I could like make this game like a little bit better, you know, using this really cool animation and, you know, wanting to share that with someone and wanting to like play with it, like building things that you want to play with for the rest of the day. Like there are so many <laughs> There's so many like animation and transition stuff and SVG and like Canvas WebGL, like all these like advanced and sometimes like intimidating technologies, like coming up with projects for yourself while, while you're learning that you'll want to play with afterwards and just like fool around with, or you'll want to share with someone you care about. Like that's a great way to motivate yourself and get yourself to a point where like you have enough knowledge that like a lot of people could actually take advantage of it. and. One other thing, like don't trust yourself in terms of figuring out when you're ready to give a workshop. Look at whether other people are like who you know are starting to see you as a resource for that thing. Like, are you the person they go to when they have a question about, you know, animations or, you know, view performance problems or, you know, building forms in view, that kind of thing. You know, like Marina Mosti who's, who's giving workshops now, it's giving like a form workshop with uh, Natalia Tepluhina. She started doing like form workshops and like eventually wrote a, a book on building forms with Vue. We'll have her on as a guest soon. Don't worry to talk about that in more detail. Like she started doing that because like she was part of like open source form projects and like people would ask her when they had questions about how to do something with a form. And that's, that's a sign. That's a sign that there's something valuable that you can do. And if people aren't doing that, it doesn't mean that there's not something valuable. It might just mean that you're not talking about the things that you can do as much as some other people. 
And we will drop a link to Crystal's talk in the show notes because it is absolutely worth watching if you have not yet seen that talk. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know when she'll be giving more workshops the next year, but I would definitely recommend it. She's, she's a really awesome person. And Marina's workshops too. Maybe we'll drop like both of their Twitters in the, in the show notes and so that maybe people a link. can keep up with that. And Natalia's, and Natalia's as well. And a link to Marina's book, which I can also highly recommend. Great. I'm ready to move on to picks if you are, Ari. I am. Okay. Ben, why don't you go first? What are your picks for this week? All right. So I think on the show, we've already talked a couple of times about Beat Saber, um, which by the way, if you ever get a chance to get Chris in front of Beat Saber, it's fantastic entertainment. But my recommendation is actually the music packs. I know most people, when they buy a game, they're not loving paying for additional DLC or for those that aren't in the gaming, like downloadable content. But um, the Beat Saber music is uh, that you purchase actually has some really great choreography. So I think it's well worth the money in case you do own it. So recommended. And my second pick... So this year for 2020, I want to draw a lot more. So there's an iPad app called SketchDraw or ShadowDraw. Sorry, not SketchDraw, ShadowDraw, which basically allows you to like, it'll guide you through sketching out these really sort of complex drawings like dragons and stuff that you would think are really complicated to do. And so it like lets you shadow them as you draw and it's really cool. So those are my two picks for this week. That's awesome. I'm going to have to try the drawing one because I was just looking at drawing apps like two nights ago and... I didn't see it, so... Yeah, definitely check out Shadow Draw. Definitely give that a shot. Ari, what about you? What are your picks this week? I have one pick, and it will probably not be surprising that it's a show on Netflix, because that's it's one of my hobbies that I spend the most time on, is just zoning out in front of the TV. <laughs> and it's a show called The End of the Effing World. It, it's really... You're probably only going to like it if you like a bit of British dry humor, because it's, it's eccentric. The premise is this teenage boy who believes that he is a a psychopath and he picks this girl from his school to be his first victim, but she convinces him to go on a road trip with her. And then it goes from there. And there are two seasons of it on Netflix and it is a lot of fun. Cool. How about you, Chris? What are your picks this week? So first, I also love Beat Saber. And... Along with the custom music packs that you can buy, and I, I definitely recommend that to like support some of the awesome mappers that that create those and, and the music behind it. You can also get free custom songs for Beat Saber on two sites, bsaber.com, uh, and these are going to be in the show notes, also called Beast Saber and beatsaber.com. Uh, those are two sites where you can download like free custom maps for, for Beat Saber as long as you're willing to mod it. And even if you're using like the Oculus Quest, you can mod it through some various means that they explain on these sites. And I want to say Benny DeBeast. Also, this is going to be in the show notes, so so you'll see how to spell it. Benny DeBeast is the best mapper of all time. He has some awesome, awesome songs. And Great Yazer is also pretty good. So I'll, I'll have both of those in the show notes. Like those two mappers just have like really, really great music. Super awesome flow, like better flow than any of the songs built into the game, in my opinion. And Benny DeBeast, I know, is like also a professional like dance choreographer, I think. And it shows. Or maybe he's just a professional dancer. I can't remember. But so good. Check those out. My second pick is a game, sort of. 
this is one of those things where like people uh, look at me a little bit funny for doing it for fun. It's called Turing Tumble. And it's this like alternative computing machine with marbles with this graphic novel that like tells a story and along with along the story like has you solve different problems with this alternate computing machine with marbles <laughs> in the story. I'm having a, a hard time envisioning just alternate computing machine with marbles. So it's like <laughs> a different a different way like, of having like a Turing complete like way of programming, but instead mm-hmm. of with like electricity and bits with marbles falling through gravity. And it's pretty dang cool. Marbles falling through gravity and like a bunch of different like gears and things like that that you can put in there Mm -hmm. to make the marbles fall in a certain way. Yeah, really cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. And my pick for today is an article slash GitHub repo called Things You Can Do with a Browser in 2020. And it's just a, a list of kind of not super well-known features that are implemented in some browsers today. A lot of them are not standard or like require some extra configuration to get them to work, but just kind of an energizing article for the new year to see what's up and coming in browsers in 2020. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. And that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And until next week, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage options, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com view.